So thank you, Reagan, for those thoughts on the hope that we have in Jesus. Jesus is all the world to me. And if that is your testimony, I'd like you to take your Zion's praises and turn to number 676 and sing this song with me. Number 676. Zion's praises. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my hope. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I said to him I go, no other one can cheer me so. sing that from your heart today, and that's your testimony, after hearing about hope, uh, Jesus is all the world to me. 
Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Ruth chapter 4, in the Old Testament. Ruth chapter 4. I'd like to bring you a message I've entitled, A Redeemer's Love. <clears throat> this is the fourth and final part of a little series I'm doing in the book of Ruth. Took a chapter each time, four chapters, and so today we'll finish that up. Obviously not exhaustive topics, but just kind of a survey of this book, some, pulling out some thoughts that I've gleaned. So hopefully it's been helpful. I know it's been helpful to me. You know, if you've ever taught a, a class Sunday school or a school position or whatever, the teacher, you always heard the teacher learns the most, right? And I, I kind of believe that. I, I've learned and I hope that I could convey some of those thoughts to you and it's been helpful uh, by God's spirit. So we will be looking at Ruth chapter 4. The book of Ruth opens, if you remember, it opens with three funerals. A little feedback, do you remember who they were? Three funerals. Who? Malan? And? Elimelech, yes. So it opened with three funerals, and it's going to close today with a wedding. So as we go through life, we do face many kinds of trials and circumstances. Some of those are joyous. Some of those are very hard, very sad. Uh, and we, we sometimes, from our perspective, think they come out in a, with a bad ending. <clears throat> but the story today has a very happy ending. It's a good reminder for us as Christians that God writes the last chapter. And we don't have to be afraid of the future. We can have hope. We can, have, we can trust him because he knows what's coming. As Christians, here's a guarantee. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and have hope in him, I will guarantee something. And that guarantee is that there will be a happy ending. There will be a happy ending. We've been doing a survey of this book of Ruth. Here's what we found so far. In the first chapter, we saw that Ruth made a very noble choice to leave her homeland, her people, her family, uh, her religion, to adopt the religion, the beliefs, the practices of the Israelites and the one true God. In the second chapter, we saw her humility her humility and service to Naomi and to others around her. She exercised her Israeli right as a widow, and she gleaned after the reapers during the harvest, gleaned some of the, the uh, grain, the food, for herself, for Naomi. She provided for them. And in the third chapter, we learned about the meeting at midnight. That was the last time we spoke. The meeting at midnight and, and Ruth's tender plea to Boaz, and that was orchestrated by Naomi. With her encouragement, she did this. So she followed through with Naomi's instructions, and they had a little meeting at midnight. And uh, that's when she kind of appealed to, to Boaz. Uh, Boaz being a kinsman, and with the, with the Leveret Law, I shared about last time, the Leveret Law that's, that's detailed in Deuteronomy chapter 25, 
the law said that a dead man's brother was obligated to marry the widow if there were no sons. Well, there, Elimelech died, and so Boaz would have been a near kinsman redeemer. So she was appealing to this redeemer. <clears throat> At the end of chapter 3, we are kind of left with a cliffhanger. It's after the midnight meeting, and Ruth comes back to Naomi, and she tells what happened. And it's kind of like left hanging there until you read on into chapter 4. Naomi said to her this, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So she was speaking of Boaz. She kind of had faith and belief that Boaz was going to be very diligent and settle this matter. He was going to fix this problem. And we have a beautiful parallel of Boaz and of Jesus. Boaz was a very busy man. As we read through Ruth, we saw how busy he was. Very busy man. He, but he was working out all the details to redeem Ruth. We're going to learn some more of those details today. In like manner, Jesus is working unceasingly for his bride, the church. He's interceding for us in heaven right now, and he's preparing a place for us. A little parallel there. <clears throat> Along through the story, we have seen the character of Boaz. He was a very kind man. He had a strong sense of propriety or social etiquette. He was very hospitable. He was very concerned about his reputation and his duty to other people. He was a responsible individual, and he was very selfless. <coughs> a lot of good character qualities in Boaz that we could follow him on. He was a man. He was not God, but I believe he was a righteous man, and he had a very, a very mature man and uh, worthy to follow in many ways. As we look at today's text, we're going to focus on three persons. We're going to focus on a bridegroom, Boaz. We're going to focus on a bride, Ruth. And then a little baby comes along in the marriage. His name is Obed. Today, we're going to read the text and do it a little differently. <clears throat> I've asked several people to help me with this. And uh, we're going to have them come forward at this time, and we're going to have them read the text to us. And basically, you can just listen to them. They're going to be reading in the ESV. I'm going to ask those people to come forward at this time. I'll put George over here, Judson next, Berlin, Marlon over here, uh, Shanna, and <coughs> So we're going to be reading Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to be doing the, I'll call it the narrator role. And then these people have other roles that they're going to read. Okay? So if you'd like to follow along, you can, or if you just want to sit and listen, that's fine too. <clears throat> we will start with Ruth 4 and verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. 
And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, And so they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land which belongs to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of my elders, of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know if there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I will come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day that you buy this field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow in order to perpetuate, perpetuate the name of the dead from his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of the attesting in Israel. So, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You're all witnesses this day that I have bought the hand, the hand of Naomi, from the hand of Naomi, all that belongs to Elimelech, all that belongs to Chilion and Malon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, and I have brought her to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in this inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the, wom the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Thank you. You may be seated. So that's the final chapter in the book of Ruth. Today we're going to look at, first of all, the confrontation. There was a confrontation, if you listened closely. There was a confrontation that took place. And Boaz confronted the closest relative. And this scene was at the city gate. Boaz meets up with this close relative at the gate. According to verse 1, it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. The town gate. The town gate was a place where people would travel into and out of the city, the town. If there was a wall around it, there was a gate. It was the place where there was business transactions taking place, and they were often made there with judges and uh, officers. There was counsel given. It was a happening spot right there at the gate. So Boaz pulled the closest redeemer the closest relative, aside at that spot. He called together ten elders of the city. In verse 2, he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here, and they sat down. So now he has the closest relative, and he has the ten elders sitting down. He wants their attention. The elders were frequently gathered at this gate, according to what we read in Proverbs 31, verse 23, in regards to the virtuous woman. This is a familiar verse you'll probably remember. That verse says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That's the husband of the virtuous woman. He's known at the gates. That's what it's referring to. Okay? So these elders would serve as witnesses to business transactions, and then we're going to notice that a little later on. So Boaz's purpose here was for redemption. The word redeemed means to set free by paying a price. There was a price to be paid for the redemption uh, that he was wanting to happen here. Now let's notice uh, three marks of a redeemer, parallels to Jesus' work of redemption that I've picked out in here, uh, Boaz and Jesus, more parallels. First of all, Boaz was a near kinsman. It It must be a kinsman, a relative of the person to do the redeeming. Boaz was a, a, a close relative, but there was a closer relative. Jesus, likewise, needed to become flesh and blood to redeem us. He had to, to put on flesh and blood and come to earth to be our redeemer. Secondly, he had to be able to pay the redemption price, Boaz. And he could because he was a close relative. Okay? And he was a wealthy man. As we read in the first three chapters, we see how wealthy Boaz was. He had, he had wealth. He had possessions. He had land. And he had servants and things. And so he was a wealthy man. He had the capability of being a redeemer in this case. Jesus was the only one, only person who was rich enough to pay the price for our redemption. He had perfect blood, which no one else had. 
Thirdly, he had to be willing. Boaz was willing. That's why he got this group together. He wanted redemption to happen. He was willing. And we know our Lord was very willing. Yes, he said, let this cup pass from me, but not what? My will, but thy will be done. He was willing, ultimately, and he gave his life and redeemed you and me. A couple of parallels between Boaz and Jesus. Naomi's land situation. Naomi was in the process of selling or had already sold the land, which belonged to her husband, Elimelech. In verse 3, it says, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her relative, to our relative, Elimelech. So it was totally within Naomi's right to do what she was doing. She was poor, and to go forward, she needed to sell this land to liquid, liquefy some money. So she would have some money. Leviticus chapter 25, I want to read this for you. Leviticus 25, verses 24 through 28, this is the law. It says, with every purchase of land, you must grant the seller the right to buy it back. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for, for him. If there is no close relative to buy the land, but the person who sold it gets enough money to buy it back, he then has the right to redeem it from the one who bought it back. The price of the land will be discounted according to the number of years until the next year of Jubilee. In this way, the original owner can then return to the land. But if the original owner cannot afford to buy back the land, it will remain with the new owner until the next year of Jubilee. In the, new, in the Jubilee year, the land must be returned to the original owners so that they can return to their family land. So that's the way the Israeli law was set up. So that's what they were in the process of trying to do here. In verse 4 of our text, Ruth 4, verse 4, we see that Boaz encourages the close relative then to redeem Nomi's land or else he would. So he was, see how see the type of man Boaz was? He didn't try to grab it from the closer relative. He was giving opportunity, doing it the, the legitimate way. And he says, so I thought I would tell you of it. And say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you're going to redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. So Boaz is recognizing he's next in line if this close relative doesn't do it. He said, I will redeem it. And so we see that the closer relative at first was very willing to do it, wasn't he? But there was some fine print that he did not realize yet at this point. Have you ever heard the print, the, the saying, the large print giveth and the fine print taketh away? Well, that's the case here. At first it looked really good to this man, but then when he heard the next part, he's like, mm, no. <clears throat> Verse 5. We see that Boaz points out this obligation that goes along with buying this land, this transaction, and it involves Ruth, the Moabitess. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also, here's the fine print, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. 
So, as we just read in Leviticus, according to the law, the one who buys the land is required to acquire the landowner as well. In this case, it had been Ruth. He must marry her and attempt to perpetuate the name of the dead husband, Ben Malan, by giving him a son. <clears throat> Naomi was past childbearing age. Ruth was not, and both husbands had died. They were both widows. All right. So what did the close relative redeemer have to say about this fine print? Verse 6. He said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So he's backpedaling now. He's changing his tune. Why? In this verse, it tells us it's because he was concerned about ruining his own inheritance. Do you see the two different character qualities in these two men? One was selfless. The other was selfish. Maybe because he knew the land would belong to Elimelech's family uh, in the year of Jubilee. And he would therefore be spending his money for land that would not long be his. It was going to cost him something, and he didn't like that. If he were to have a son by Ruth, and that son were his only surviving heir... Uh, the property of Malan, that's Ruth's late husband, and part of his own estate would go to Elimelech's family. So more, there's more stuff leaving him, and he didn't like that. Very self-focused is what we're, what we're seeing here in this passage. And so the challenge for me and for you today is how many of us are overly worried about our stuff? What happens to our stuff? Are we selfish with our stuff, our things, the things that God's blessed us with? Or are we willing to share with those in need? Just keep this in mind. When we pass on, it's staying here. So with this refusal, the right, the responsibility of redemption was forfeited to Boaz. And that was music to his ears. Second point, the redemption. Boaz redeems Naomi and Ruth. See, Boaz had the opportunity to watch Ruth in the field over these, I don't know, weeks or however long it's been, for a while. Watching her character, watching how she responded, how, how she cared for Naomi, and he was interested. I think he is more interested in Ruth than he was the land. Opposite of the other close redeemer. So Boaz jumps at the opportunity. He redeems the land and he gets a beautiful wife for himself. And I'm saying beautiful in more than one way. I believe, I mean, I don't know what she looked like. She was probably beautiful to look upon, but her character was so beautiful. Her character Verses 7 and 8 of our text says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, Boaz drew off his sandal. He said, Deal. 
So the custom of taking off the shoe probably relates to the divine commandment to walk on the land and to take possession. And it symbolized the kinsman's forfeiture of his right to possess the land. Boaz now had the land and Ruth. Similarly, there was a custom involving the removal of a sandal that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 7 through 9. So we'll just read that. This is interesting. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull off his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. So this was done in the law. This was done for the refusal to marry the widow of one's brother. An expression of shame. And I don't think that happened in this case. This was similar to uh, the, the law back then, but this is not what happened I don't believe in Boaz and Ruth's scenario. I just wanted to show you what, what, what Deuteronomy said there in chapter 25. Let's go back to our text. According to verse 9 of our text, this scene was witnessed by the ten elders and all the people at the city gate. Boaz said, You're going to be witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malam. So they witnessed that Boaz had purchased all the land of the late Elimelech and his late sons. He bought it from the hand of Naomi. And as was indicated in the prior verses, Boaz not only made a land purchase, he also acquired Ruth. Verse 10. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may, be, may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Why do you think Boaz would feel the responsibility to do this? He felt the responsibility so as to perpetuate the name of Malam, Ruth's dead husband, and to maintain Malan's position at the city gate. Boaz was a righteous man, as I said earlier. I believe he was a very righteous man. He desired to follow the Lord in everything that he did. And this act was witnessed and blessed by the elders there at the gate, by the townspeople who were around watching on. They all blessed him in this, what he was doing. They were at the, all the people were at the gate and the elders. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the coming, who, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They pronounced a blessing on what they had just witnessed. All the people proclaimed themselves witnesses. 
They blessed them in three ways. That God would make Ruth like Leah and Rachel. That Boaz would prosper and be famous in Bethlehem. And that their house would be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. The people prayed that Ruth would be faithful. That Ruth would be fruitful, I should say, in childbearing. Childbearing was looked upon very positively back then. And it was uh, a difficult thing when a woman could not have a baby. So children were very, is a very good thing. Uh, it's quite the opposite in America, America today. I want to show you this sad statistic. This is from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. <clears throat> and this is from the year 2014. There were 652,639 legal induced abortions reported that year. The abortion ratio was 186 abortions per 1,000 live births. And I put a little note at the bottom of the slide that says, what about all the illegal, illegal abortions that were done? Very sad numbers and quite opposite perspective on life and having a family from what the days of Ruth and Boaz were. Children are definitely a blessing from God. And let's do what we can to bless a family who's having, a, a godly family who's having children. That is just such a blessing. Let's not in any way take up the, the, the mentality of the American mind today, like is on this screen right behind me. All right, let's move on to the third one. And the third one is the marriage, Boaz and Ruth. They have a son. It's an exciting day there in Bethlehem. There's a wedding. Um, here at Wellspring, we know a little bit about weddings, don't we? Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we just had the fourth wedding this year among our people here. So we know a little bit about weddings around here. Uh, there was a time lapse here, and we jumped through the days of conception, pregnancy, and delivery to the first baby. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the fertility and barrenness, having a baby or not having a baby, back, oftentimes was attributed by the people back then to the Lord, as it says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, and in verse 30, verse 2, it's examples of this. Uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Verse 2 of 30 says, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? <clears throat> so maybe in this way the writer was implying God's acceptance of the union of Boaz and Ruth. Just something to think about. He gave them. He blessed their union. He blessed them with a baby son, Obed. The women of the town offered praise and prayer in verses 14 and 15. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
So they praised God in this process, didn't they? There's a baby born. The women in the neighborhood praised God. They encouraged Naomi uh, for what had happened through her daughter-in-law. They prayed that the child would be a restorer and a nourisher to Naomi in her old age. So Naomi became the baby's nurse. And interestingly, the ladies of the town named the baby. <coughs> Who's going to name your baby, Shanna? <laughs> okay, ladies, we're going to have a, a meeting after church today. We're going to pick a name, okay? No, oh, oh, the father says no to that, so cancel. <laughs> cancel. <laughs> okay, well, we'll wait for that name to come forth one, one day. So the name Obed means servant or worshiper. So that's not how names are given today as much as it was in, in Bible times. Sometimes in Bible times, uh, they named them and the name had a certain meaning and that's, that's how they picked the name. All right, well, that kind of brings us toward the end of the chapter. But there is a... I missed a slot here, I know. There we go. Uh, that brings us to uh, the fourth part here, the genealogy that's shown right at the end of the chapter. Verses 18 to the end, verse 22, there is a genealogy shown. Why is that there? Is it significant? Well, I think it is. I don't think it's an afterthought. Uh, I'm going to read them again. It says... Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Count these up, by the way. Let's back up. Now these are the generations, generations of Perez. Use your fingers. <clears throat> Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. How many? Huh? Ten? Ten, okay. So I think that's significant. I don't think it's an afterthought. Deuteronomy 23, verse 2. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth, tenth generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Do you remember what the story was with Perez? Perez was the son of an illegitimate union between Judah and Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. You can read that sometime. But that was an illegitimate union, and uh, Perez was the result of that. So ten generations later, we have this, David coming along. Okay? And David was the, one of the kings of the Israelites. I don't think it was just an afterthought to have that there. I think that's possibly why that was there, but you may differ with me. It's okay. So, in conclusion, I'd like to share a few things. At the beginning of our study, we noted that the book of Ruth serves two purposes. To illustrate how God rewards those who make wise spiritual choices and show steadfast, devoted, and affectionate loyalty. 
to explain how Ruth, a Moabitess, came to be an ancestor of David and ultimately of the Messiah. It's a book of history. It builds a bridge between the time of the judges and when God gave Israel their first king, King Saul. The book of Ruth also reveals examples of commendable character that's worthy of us to follow. The nobility of character in Ruth herself. She proved to be better to Naomi than seven sons is what the, what the scripture says. And just think back over Ruth's character in her life. Noble person. Her husband, Boaz, another noble person. An employer, a believer in God's promises and his commands, a follower of God. Wanted to be obedient, wanted to care about other people. So many things you could mention about Boaz. Worthy to follow. And here's the interesting thing. Remember this. Such character that was in these two individuals happened when? It happened during a very, very dark time in Israel, the time of the judges. Lots of wickedness was happening. In Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, it says this, In those days, when Ruth and Boaz lived, there was no king in Israel. Here's the sad part. Everyone did was right in his own eyes. And with that general uh, assessment of the, the people, you have these two people coming out and living their life as we just described and talked. Now that's amazing. And that is encouragement to each one of us that we can live like that today here in America or wherever country God calls you to live in. But you can live like that in a, in a midst of wickedness. You can stand out just like Ruth and Boaz and be sold out and following and obedient to God. <clears throat> so, may this, in, this example encourage us to do what's right. Even among professing believers in America who are drifting, we can stand strong. By God's grace, let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this book the book of Ruth that you've given to us, the story with so many good things in it for us to learn from. Thank you for this, these lessons. As we think about Ruth and Boaz, may your Holy Spirit help us to follow them in the good things they did, how they followed you. Help us to stand strong in a dark time and be obedient to you. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.